I had a child who had only one semester left to graduate from college. And he comes to me one day and says, I want to drop out of school. Kept my cool. And I said, okay, why is that? And he says, well, I've tried to pass calculus twice, and I couldn't, and I have one last chance to pass it, and I don't think I can. And I said, no one quits a marathon at mile 24. You find a way to finish this race, even if you don't think you can. Then I added, there's more reward in finishing well than in not finishing at all. And then we talked about how he was going to pass calculus. The book of Revelation is a book about finishing well. Some people think the whole book's about the end times, but only a part of it is. And I think the book mostly covers these three things, revealing to us ongoing spiritual realities, inspiring our worship, and calling us to a vigorous discipleship. First, it describes ongoing spiritual realities, such as who is Jesus Christ? In a time before seminaries and church councils, this book of Revelation paints a vivid picture of who Jesus Christ is. Paul did it with theological words. Uh, Revelation does it with pictures and images. And it gives us different images of the same Christ. When you watch a game in the NFL or even college football and someone scores a touchdown, they're going to show you that touchdown from a lot of different angles. It's the angle from behind, the angle from the front, the angle from the side, the angle from above. There's a side, you know, line camera, and there's even little cameras on the pylons, all showing you the same thing, but at different angles. So you can see things from every side. And this is not the only place where it happens in Scripture. If you remember from the Daniel series, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about four statues. Daniel interprets the dream and says this represents four kingdoms. And then later on, Daniel has a dream about four beasts, about the same kingdoms, but with different imagery. The book of Revelation will use imagery symbols, numbers to convey an ongoing spiritual reality. And what is that reality? There is a war in the spiritual realm. The war is felt on earth, but God is on his throne, and so is the Lamb. They will triumph, and so will their people. The book also inspires our worship, paints a vivid picture for us of living creatures before the throne. And the Almighty is on the throne, and the Lamb is on the throne. And surrounding the throne are a multitude that no one count, can count, from every tongue and tribe and nation. And, and around them are millions upon millions and millions of angels, and they're all bowing before God, and they're worshiping Him. They're worshiping Him with new songs. And then the book says that your praises, your prayers are added to their worship. 
Does that not inspire our worship? And then it is a book that calls us to rigorous discipleship. Remember, it's written to churches. Some of these churches had compromised of the world. Jesus tells them, repent and overcome. Some churches are being persecuted. Jesus tells them, persevere and overcome. This book is telling the people of God, hang in there, persevere, finish well. Now our passage this week is from chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. So let me read that for you. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This scene takes place in heaven. John sees the multitude from every people group and nation, and he's wondering, who are they? And an elder tells them, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Why are they before the throne of God? because they've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Jesus has atoned for their sin. They are spotless. And they have persevered in their faith through all kinds of tribulation. Sometimes in evangelical Christianity today, we say, oh, just receive Jesus and that's it. No, you must believe in Jesus and persevere in your faith. Now remember, this book is written to seven churches. It's given to Christians who are tempted to compromise their morality or to unidentify themselves as Christians because of the persecution brought against them. And this persecution took several forms, you know, economic pressure, ridicule, some were imprisoned, some were killed. And in some parts of the world, Christians are still persecuted, right? You know that. And historically speaking, persecution has moved people away from the faith. We hear about the martyrs who give their life for the faith, but there's a whole lot of people who walked away. And historically speaking, when we look at Muslim countries, those were once countries where the majority of people once identified themselves as Christian. 
But before the persecution came, there was already a walking away. There was already a compromise. Like, oh, do we really have to follow Jesus in that? Really? We need to be doing this? And they compromised. And when you compromise, when real persecution comes, we're just going to walk away because they've already been walking. Now, this is more of the struggle we face in the West. We're not persecuted for our faith, per se, but the world entices us to give up the way of Christ. It seduces us to start thinking like the world and not through a a scriptural lens. Do you see it? Have you experienced it? Can you feel it? Do you see it perhaps among your kids and your grandkids? The saints in heaven have been washed, but they've also persevered. Whether that perseverance and tribulation comes by temptation or by persecution. Now, in this passage, we're going to see that word tribulation. In fact, it's going to say megathalipsis, big tribulation. Some people automatically think, oh, they're talking about the great tribulation that comes at the end of the age right here in this passage. And I'm going to say, we haven't seen that yet. We've seen the four horsemen unleashed. Uh, They do their work. Conquest, warfare, bloodshed, economic hardship, plague. You see those horsemen, those things going on in the world today? They've always been on the march in the world. Jesus allows them so that people, when they experience them, will turn to God. And whatever effect this conflict in the Ukraine might have on us and on our country, it is designed for us to turn our faces towards God. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation." But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus tells the church, if you remember from chapters 2 and 3, persevere through temptation, persevere through your persecution, you will receive a reward. And so in the midst of this world of tribulation, God's calling us to a a vigorous discipleship. Not a passive discipleship, a, a vigorous one. And the starting point to persevere and have a vigorous discipleship is to have a high view of Christ. This is what the book shows us. The lamb on the throne, in the middle of the throne, He finishing his work. He receiving glory and honor. 
he is worthy. And if he is worthy, he is of ultimate worth and he is someone to treasure and to cherish. At the end, he's standing. He's standing. And so is everyone else he rescues. You know, if you watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, you know the end of the movie already. At the very end, Arnie is standing there victorious, and whoever he's supposed to rescue is rescued. And so if uh, you're in the movie and you want it to go well for you, I want to be with him when the movie ends. We want to be with him. He is left standing. He is the hero. And he's the one who loves you. He's the lamb who was slain. Slain because he wanted to be slain. Because that's what redemption cost him. And so a vigorous discipleship begins with this high view of Christ and a valuing and a cherishing of him. And we have to come to the point in our lives when he is chiefly treasured. Treasured more than our money. Treasured and cherished even more than our physical lives. Because if we cherish our wealth more, and that's threatened by persecution, we might walk away. If we cherish our lives more and that's threatened by persecution, we might walk away. It's time now, before great tribulation, that we learn to cherish him chief of all. And I think that means there's a, a letting go. You know, when you love someone and that loved one is near death, and you know that's going to happen soon, there's this letting go that has to take place. And I think we have to do that with anything that we love more than Christ. Begin the process of letting go, not giving it up, but holding it loosely and being willing to let it go. I was talking to a young man. He uh, was playing in a basketball league every week, a softball league, a flag football league, and he played uh, golf every Saturday. He was a new husband, a baby was on the way, and his wife started to say, you know, baby's on the way, I'd like you to be home more, and he didn't really like that. So he thought maybe uh, I could talk his wife into letting him play his things. But here's what I said to him. If you want this marriage to persevere, you'll have to cherish her more than your sports. If you want to persevere, 
You'll have to cherish him more. Now, we do this out of our love for the lamb who was slain. And because persevering will bring us great reward. And this passage speaks of what the Lord will do for us should we pass through the possible tribulations assigned to us. He will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. If you compare that passage to what we read in our call to worship, one's from Isaiah, one's here in the book of Revelation. Revelation pretty much just quotes what's everywhere else in Scripture. But here's the promise. His presence will satisfy our needs. He will give us life and comfort. And so for everyone who endures what the world throws at them, whether that is temptation or persecution, Jesus promises reward. There's peace. There's comfort. It's all our deepest needs fully met, fully loved, fully secure, fully comforted, fully accepted. Now, uh, I know there are people who are going through tribulation right now. And I want you to know you don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven to be comforted. Jesus comforts us now because we are his saints now. And I find he ministers us mostly and usually through other members of his body. And so from the time I do the benediction to the time we do the congregational meeting, we're going to have some people who will be praying for any of you who need prayer. You know, um, my kid who said, I want to drop out of school with one semester to go. And I said, no one quits a marathon at mile 24. I used that language because he ran a marathon. After high school and before college, he ran uh, the Long Beach Marathon, and it had over 10,000 runners in it, and he actually finished first in his age group. Before he ran, we, we studied the course, and I marked the places where I would cheer him on. There's this long, gradual, two-mile uphill. God, I'm going to be in the middle of that because he'll need to be cheered on. And then I made sure I was going to be standing at mile 20 because that's when people hit a wall a lot of times. And, and I was going to be there at mile 24 because, man, you just need that last push to go in. And, and I, I had positioned myself in other places, but, and I had a bike, you know, that could take me to these places really fast. But I wanted to be where I knew he would need my encouragement. 
I was also at the end of the race, at the finish line, cheering him on. And when he crossed the finish line, I was there with open arms. Then uh, we had a feast of a big breakfast. And then he got a text message. You finished first in your age group. Come get your reward. Jesus is already in all those places where you will need help. And if you keep on running, he's there at the finish with open arms. There will be feasting at a great banquet and he will have for you your reward. And any tears you cried along the way, he will wipe every tear from your eyes.